you have your Bible here today, go with me now to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 28. Here we are, we finally made it to the end of this book. Some of you didn't think we would. You thought Jesus was going to come back before we would make it, but here we are. But if he comes back in the middle of this sermon, that'd be okay too, wouldn't it? Uh, Acts chapter 28, we'll be starting this morning in verse 16 as you find your place. If you've ever traveled far from home, uh, you've probably had the wonderful experience of getting lost or losing your baggage or being broke down on the side of the road. I heard about a fellow who was growing quite anxious about taking a flight because of the bad weather that had been predicted on the day that he was traveling. And so as the man strolled through the airport, he saw a kiosk that was selling travel insurance. And the agent talked to him and convinced him to buy a $100,000 policy. And so the man felt somewhat assured as he walked away from that purchase and looked out and saw the dark storm clouds gathering on the horizon. The man had a few minutes before his flight, and so he decided to stop at the food court, and he chose a little Chinese restaurant there in the airport, and it was a pretty good meal. It was relaxing until he got to the end, and he opened up that fortune cookie, and here's what the fortune said, your recent investment will pay big dividends. <laughs> So that was not the kind of travel news that he wanted. Maybe you can relate to the guy who stepped up to the ticket counter at the airport with three pieces of luggage, and he said to the attendant behind the desk, he said, I want this piece of luggage to go to Los Angeles. I want this second suitcase to go to Chicago, and then this third piece, if you will, send it on to New York City. And, of course, the attendant was dumbfounded, confused. She said, Sir, I don't understand Uh, We're not the post office. I'm sorry, I can't do that. And the man said, well, I am so relieved to hear you say that because that's exactly what happened the last time I took this flight. (laughs) If you've ever uh, experienced that, you know what it's like to be stranded somewhere with only the clothes on your back. And uh, they give you that little courtesy back, right, with uh, one bar of soap and a Kleenex and a, a toothbrush and so on. And you feel quite naked in the moment, but... Uh, Billy Graham, he once told about a time when he was having a crusade in a big city and uh, he was walking through the town that day and he needed directions to the post office and he stopped and he asked a little boy and after getting those directions, uh, Billy invited the little boy to his crusade and he said, hey, you can come tonight, I'm going to be at thus and so building and I'm going to be telling everyone how to get to heaven. And the little boy responded, he said, no, I don't think I'll be there, sir. Uh, You don't even know how to get to the post office. (laughs) So all of that happens when you travel, right? You get lost, uh, your baggage gets left behind somewhere, and things don't go as you plan. Well, we've been traveling with Paul for a while now in the book of Acts. And he experienced all those inconveniences and all those headaches and much more in his missionary journeys. Why, up to this point, he has been shipwrecked, he's been snake bit, he's been delayed and detoured and detained. Uh, He has seen the lost saved and he himself has got lost along the way. His travel plans have been changed more than once along the journey 
And you might say that it has taken Paul a lifetime now to reach Rome. But here in chapter 28 of Acts, he finally arrives. And this chapter is an interesting one because I would say to you it is both an end and a beginning. It brings to close the history of the early church, but at the same time it opens up a new chapter of ministry post-Paul. And one could argue that what the church has been doing for the past 2,000 years has been writing Acts 29 from the first century now to the present day. And so much of the work that we are doing now is continuing, is piggybacking off what the Apostle Paul and company started a long time ago. Now, this chapter, as we close our book study of Acts, has three lessons. And we're going to notice Paul's ministry here in the city of Rome. And what we are going to see here is how to be effective in every generation. How the church can, when they find themselves in a lost world, in a decadent and depraved world. We're living in a nation that's as lost and decadent and depraved as ancient Rome. You can look at all the things that happened in ancient Rome that caused their steady decline, and we are hitting, checking off the boxes, as it were, every single one of those things in our nation. So what we find here in this final chapter are three lessons about how to be effective, no matter your culture, no matter what time period you live in, how the church can go on. So we notice here our first lesson, number one, be flexible and adapt our methods. Be flexible and adapt our methods. Notice as we read verse 16. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. Now notice here, Paul has finally arrived in Rome. And we see here that his ministry in this city is different from any other time in his life. Obviously, Paul's imprisonment has restricted what he is able to do, but at the same time, he's also presented with a new opportunity and a new mission field. In fact, I would wager that Paul is the epitome of that old saying, bloom where you are planted. Because here he finds himself in the center, the capital of the Roman world at that time, and he has a great opportunity to witness for Christ even in his chains. So notice here in verse 16 that he's under house arrest and he has a soldier with him 24-7. A soldier from what was known as the Praetorian Guard was chained to Paul. Uh, these were what you might say would be the emperor's secret service agents. And we know from Roman history that every six hours these Roman soldiers would take a new shift. And so they would serve their time and then another soldier would come and relieve the previous one. And you talk about a captive audience that uh, Brother Paul had. Uh, Paul's chains ended up becoming a great opportunity for him to share the gospel. Because as it were, these guards happened to be fastened, happened to be chained to the world's most preeminent preacher and theologian and missiologist. And who better to be chained to than the Apostle Paul? In the book of Philippians, in, in chapter 1, in verse 12 through 14, Paul writes about this particular season in his life. 
And notice what he says in that passage, verse 12. He said, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Verse 14, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So notice this, Paul's imprisonment, his house arrest in Rome, was not problematic. It was providential according to Paul. He said, look, every time the Roman guards come to me and they change shifts, uh, hey, praise God, they hear a three-point sermon. And I tell the fella, hey, if we don't get finished this time, we'll finish when you come back. And so the next Roman guard came on the shift, and what do you think Paul did to him? Uh, Paul preached to that one as well. Every man that Paul won to Christ uh, those soldiers would go back to the barracks and they would share Jesus and their experience with being chained to Paul with their comrades. And I think that Paul absolutely reveled at this opportunity. Instead of God sending Paul to the lost, he sent the lost to Brother Paul. And so you see here, number one, Paul had to adapt his methods to be faithful to the gospel there in Rome. If you've never read the book, Tortured for Christ, you should. It's written by a man named Richard Rumbrand. And he was a Romanian pastor during the days of communist rule in that nation. And he was imprisoned, thrown in a dark Romanian jail just for professing Jesus Christ. And in that book, he tells many stories of what it was like in that jail. I want to share one of those stories with you this morning because it applies. He said this, The following scene happened more times than I can remember. A brother was preaching to the other prisoners when the guards suddenly burst in, surprising him halfway through a phrase. They would haul him down to the corridor or what they called the beating room after what seemed like an endless beating. They brought him back, threw him down on the floor, bloody and bruised. And slowly that man would pick himself up his battered body, he would painfully straighten himself in his clothing and say, Now, brethren, where did I leave off before I was interrupted and pick up his sermon preaching to the prisoners there in that jail block? I believe that that was Paul's approach at this particular season in his life. Can you imagine being chained to the Apostle Paul? Hey, did I tell you about that time that I was stoned and left for dead? Hey, did I tell you about the time that I was shipwrecked and snake bit? Hey, did I ever tell you about the Damascus Road experience where Jesus zapped me and knocked me down on my rear end and changed my life? I got up never the same again. Hey, did I ever tell you about the time guard when I was in prison in Philippi and we started praising? We started singing the old jailhouse rock. Uh, shake those chains, Brother Silas. That's a pretty good beat, I said. And then God set an earthquake and God broke the chains and we walked out. Uh, don't fear. Uh, that God can save you too, prisoner. Could you imagine being chained to Paul and listening to one story after another? of Jesus and His power in His life. So here's the application. Whatever you're chained to, we've all got something we're chained to in this life. Is it a job you don't like? Be honest. Is it a friend or a co-worker who constantly takes shots at you and devalues your faith? 
Are you chained to a physical ailment that you just can't get that healing from, that leaves you weakened? Are you chained to an endless routine of chores and screaming children and and it seems like you're just stuck in life? Well, listen, that's an opportunity to be used by God in that unique place for that unique season as a witness to Jesus Christ. And you have to look at it like Paul and say, God's put me here, He's planted me here, and I have to adapt and leverage this moment for Jesus Christ. Now, in this pandemic, churches have been forced to adapt or die. And I drive by through the community and I see that there's a lot of churches not doing anything. They're not even meeting outside. And I'm afraid they're not going to have much of a church to go back to later on, friend. It's kind of sad. There's some churches that, let's just be honest, they're not going to make it through this pandemic because they're living in fear rather than faith. Well, one of the things that God showed us very early on when we, back in March and April and May, and we were going through all that shutdown is we had to change. We had to adapt as a church. And praise God, we had the technology and the ability to do that, to raise some money and to buy some cameras and and to do the service online and live stream to get us through that particular season. And we've all benefited from that. Amen? But you know how God has used that because of our willingness to adapt? Every week it seems like I'm getting messages from people all across the United States I've never even been to these places and people are sending me emails and sending me messages and say, hey, we're watching Little Liberty Baptist Church down here in Alabama and Mississippi and Georgia and Michigan and Maryland and all over these United States. I even got a note from some fella in Kenya and another one in India. I ain't never been in that country, but I'm telling you that God is on the move and that God says I'll work all things out for good and what was used for evil, I'll cause and bring good out of it. And that's what God's doing during this season in our lives. I love being adaptable. I love doing this when I go to the restaurant. Oh boy, you can really adapt the situation when you go to a restaurant and you sit down. I love to do this but as the waitress or the waiter takes our meal, takes our order. Uh, they take it up and I say, ma'am, I say, sir, I'm getting ready to ask a blessing for my food. Is there anything that I can pray about in your life? And I take that little moment and leverage it for the gospel. I adapt it and I turn it toward Jesus. And you know what? I've never had anybody say, no, you can't pray for me. Because everybody's got something going on in their life. And everybody needs prayer. I've had some of them open up like a book and just start spilling their guts and tell me their life story and I can point them in the direction of Jesus. And then I've had other ones kind of stove up on me and look at me all confused and bewildered. You want to do what? But friend, it's being adaptable. And being flexible in the moment and saying, God, how can you use me here and now in this season, in this place that I'm in? How can you use me? That's the first lesson. That Paul turned his prison into a pulpit. So we see number one, when in Rome we need to be flexible and adapt our methods. And then number two, here's what I notice. Another lesson we can take going forward is be faithful and adhere to our message. Be faithful and adhere to our message. Notice verse 17 and following. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. When they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against you, our people, 
or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, and for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. Speaking of Christianity. Verse 23, when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodgings in greater numbers. Watch this. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said and others disbelieved. Do you see it? Be faithful and adhere to the message. Paul never lost his heart for the Jewish people, did he? And when he came in Rome, he extended an invitation. He set up a meeting with all of the Jewish leaders there in Rome to come to his home where he was under house arrest so that he could speak to them and ultimately present the gospel. And the Bible says in verse 20 that Paul said, look, I'm, I'm here to talk to you about the hope of Israel and that's the reason why I'm wearing this chain and he began to expound the gospel to them. That hope of Israel, that's a messianic term pointing to, to Jesus Christ. And, and notice here that once again, as he had done in every city, what Paul began to do, the Bible says there that day and night, all day and all night, he tried to convince them about Jesus from the law and the prophets. Friend, if there was a Bible study... Uh, that you could ever be a part of, wouldn't you have liked to have been there with a pen and pad and take notes to the apostles' sermon that day? All day and all night, teaching the Jews, convincing them that Jesus is the Son of God, that He's the King of Israel, that He's the Messiah and the one who fulfilled all of the law and the prophets. How do you think He started? Uh, maybe Brother Clifford, he went all the way back into the book of Genesis. And he said, uh, remember in Genesis 22, uh, when Abraham and Isaac were going up the mountain, uh, who shall provide the sacrifice? The Lord Himself shall provide. And just as He was about to plunge that knife into Isaac's body, they looked over, the angel of the Lord intervened, and there was a ram called in the thicket. And he said, uh, that's a picture of Jesus in the Old Testament. The one who was crowned uh, with thorns. The one who sacrificed Himself. Maybe He went over to the book of Exodus in chapter 12 and began to talk to them about the Passover lamb. How that the blood had to be applied to the doorposts. And those who were covered by the blood were safe from death, were spared from judgment, and he began to connect the dots for him. Then maybe he moved over into the book of Numbers. He said, remember when the people were in the wilderness and they were snake bit and they were sick and dying and God told Moses, take a brazen serpent and put it on a pole and raise it up. He said, that's a picture of Jesus. Jesus in the Old Testament. Look and live. Look to Him and you'll be cured of the snake bite of sin. Or maybe he went over to the book of Joshua and he began to explain to them 
that in Joshua chapter 4, when he went and bowed before the angel of the Lord, uh, the captain of the Lord's army, uh, that was Jesus Christ. And it was Jesus who made the walls crumble. It was Jesus who caused the Jordan River to split open. And it was Jesus who fought the battle. Uh, maybe he went over to the book of Judges and told story after story of deliverance and, and sin and decadence and depravity. And he said, there is a great deliverer. Uh, he's greater than Samson. Uh, he's greater than Gideon. He's better than Barak and Deborah. His name is Jesus Christ. Uh, maybe he talked about the book of Ruth and said, uh, you just thought Boaz was the kinsman redeemer, but that's pointing forward to Jesus Christ uh, who uh, is going to uh, buy the land and, and shed His blood and get the bride. And Maybe He went over into 1 Samuel and He started connecting the dots for Him. Uh, you remember that promise that God gave uh, David about somebody who would sit on the throne forever and ever? Uh, David's promise uh, was Jesus Christ when He came in Matthew chapter 1. Maybe he went to the Psalms and talked to him from Psalm 23. Oh, the good shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And he talked about Jesus being the good shepherd of life. Maybe he went to the prophets then. How that Jesus would be virgin born. How that He would be the Son of God and the Son of Man. And His name would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And the Bible said He's been all day and all night convincing them. It's Jesus. It's all about Him, folks. Wouldn't you have liked to have been there that day? But we see here, friend, the response was tepid. And every preacher knows about that. Sometimes a preacher can preach his guts out. And it seems like the message falls on deaf ears. The Bible says that when they heard his preaching, some believed and some went away unchanged, didn't they? And friend, here's what I learned about that. He was obedient to preach Christ and leave the results up to the Holy Spirit. And that's the way it goes when you share your faith, isn't it? Sometimes you get the door slammed in your face. Sometimes folk are like low-hanging fruit, just waiting to be harvested for the Lord Jesus Christ. And the important thing is this. Don't confuse success with results. What do I mean by that? God has only called us to be faithful. And there may be a point in your life where you're just there to plant the seed. Or you may just be there in that particular moment to water the seed and nurture what somebody else has planted. Oh, but then, bless God, you may be there that day to be a part of the harvest. And the point is this. Just be faithful to the message. And that's what we see in Paul's whole ministry, isn't it? Although his methods change, and although we as a church change our methods, listen, our message stays the same. So no matter what city Paul was in, whether it was Corinth, or Athens, or Ephesus, or Rome. Listen, he never watered down, he never backed down, and he never dumbed down the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He just had one message. It was Jesus and Jesus alone. Hey, listen to me. Can I get up on my soapbox for just a minute? Will you give me just a minute or two? We live in a culture that constantly wants to dilute and amend the gospel to meet the quote-unquote felt needs of mankind. We have prosperity preachers. 
They're not filling auditoriums right now because they can't. But for years, prosperity preachers have shied away from talking about sin and depravity and the wickedness of the human heart because they'd rather have false conversions and full auditoriums than to see the movement of the Holy Spirit. We have liberal pastors who have downplayed the precious doctrines in the Word of God in favor of a quote, feel-good message. And what is the result of that? Well, we have a church that's mile-wide and an inch deep. Listen, right now, you know what the trendy thing to do is? You know what's going on in our world. We hear so much of this crammed down our throats from the media and on Facebook and everywhere else about social justice. It's being crammed down our throats from a group called Black Lives Matter. You know what I'm talking about? We agree with the statement. Yes, black lives matter because all lives matter because everyone's created in the image of God. Jesus died for everybody and wants to save everybody. But friend, have you done your homework on black lives matter? Let me tell you something. You do your homework on that. It's a godless organization. It's run by wicked people. It's Marxist. It's anti-Christ. It's anti-family. And it's everything that is against American principles. And we need some preachers today with a little bit of courage and a little bit of backbone to stand up and say, I'm not getting on the bandwagon of that because I'm not going to be distracted. I'm not going to be deluded. I'm not going to be taken away because I got one message. It's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the only way that this wicked nation can be turned back again, the only way to heal our broken land, is we've got to go back to the Bible and the blood and the blessed hope. And we've got to repent as a nation and say, God, have mercy on me, for I am a sinful man. I am a sinful woman. Lord, if I got what I deserved, you'd swallow me up in hell right now. But I thank you that there's a cross. I thank you that the ground is there at its level. And I can come to Jesus as I am. And that He'll clean me up. And that He'll credit to me His holiness and His righteousness. And I can shake off the grave clothes and walk in newness of life. Friend, where's our preachers here today? Where's our preachers in this generation who say, I changed my methods and how I reach people, but I'm not backing up on this book. I'm not diluting it. I'm not watering down. I'm not being politically correct. I'm being biblically correct. Because I don't have to stand before Trump. I don't have to stand before the NAACP. I don't have to stand before the liberals. I have to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ one day and give an account of my ministry. Every idle word spoken I'll be judged by. So as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And as long as I've got breath in my lungs and energy in my body, I'll proclaim it from the heights that there's still only one way, and His name is Jesus. That's how the enemy works. Don't you see how the enemy works? The devil is always trying, no matter what culture we're in or what time period we're in, Satan is always trying to corrupt the gospel. Deception, dilution, distraction. And in every generation... The church has to decide for itself. We as God's people at Liberty Baptist Church, we have to decide for ourselves 
We're just going to keep the main thing, the main thing. And that's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I take the cookies and put it on the bottom shelf so that everybody who wants some of the bread of life, you come and you get all you want. Listen, friend. If we change our message, we don't have anything to offer the culture. I don't have anything to offer the world except Jesus. On that point, Adrian Rogers said this. He said, if we feed the hungry and clothe the poor and campaign for social causes, but we don't preach the gospel, we've only made this world a nicer place to go to hell from. Wow. Vance Havner said this years ago. He said, if they had a social gospel in the days of the prodigal son, somebody would have given him a bed and a sandwich, and he never would have repented and gone home. We need to keep preaching repentance. We need to keep preaching sin. We need to keep preaching that there's a hell. We need to keep preaching that there's a cross and a Savior and a God who loves. We don't need to back up from that. And that's what Paul did everywhere he went, even when he was in Rome. He just preached Jesus. The methods may have changed, but the message was rock solid. Friend, my message is Jesus Christ risen, and returning. My agenda is I am not ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. My mission is the great co-mission. My motivation is the soon and sudden and sure return of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we ought to work while there's still daylight, for the night is coming when no man can work. And there has to be an urgency about our lives to keep the message the same. Oh, we saw it this week. Oh, brother, did we see it this week at basketball camp. Michael was there with me. Some others were there with me. Appreciate Brother Michael and his work ethic, working with the kids and talking to them about the Lord, giving them the gospel. The last day came. I had the kids over there underneath the picnic area, underneath the trees, presenting the gospel to these kids. As I was presenting to the older group, there was one boy in particular that I had connected with earlier on in the week. And you could just tell that this, this youngster came from a troubled background. You can see, they, they have it written all over them when they walk in the door. They carry the burden. And you can just notice that the weight of the world was on him. And I began to connect with him that week and just talk to him, learn a little bit about his life. Started to pray for him. Last day, had those kids up there by the picnic area. We were telling them about how to be saved and what Jesus had done for them. And this boy that I'd been working with, praying with, hoping for to get saved, he wasn't paying attention. He was with his buddies. He was over on the corner goofing off. I got mad. I kind of got in the flesh a little bit. And I looked over at him. I said, young man... I said, I'm talking about eternity here. I wish that you cared more about your soul right now than you're showing me you do. Quietened up. I said, I love you, but you need to pay attention right now to what I'm saying. He stood up. By the way, praise God for some tough love in our lives. Don't we need it? He straightened up. Gave the invitation. 
had eight kids in that particular session walk forward and say, I need to make a profession of Jesus Christ. I watched that boy. He didn't do it. I was kind of discouraged. Came back in, got the kids together, finished up the camp. I told the kids the last thing. I said, look, I said, if you come to this camp and you don't have a Bible, I say, you go over that desk before you leave. One of those girls will give you a Bible. Before you walk out, you can have one for free. Well, the camp adjourned. Kids were running around. Parents were gathering up their, their children. And I looked over. Sitting on the corner of that stage, there was that boy. He had his Bible open. He was sitting there. You could tell the Lord was dealing with him. I walked over to him. I said, do you understand what you're reading? He looked up at me. He said, I don't know where to start. He said, I've never read a Bible in my life. I said, you turn to John 3.16. We turned to John 3.16. I said, start right here for God so loved the world. And I'm telling you, friend, that it's, it's the message. Keep the message the same. It's the only hope that we have for this generation and the next one. That's all we've got. And we have to be like Paul, be a broken record player. Stay faithful to the inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God. And as long as they come in this church and as long as I'm here, I assure you they'll hear about the wages of sin is death, that hell is hot, that heaven is sweet, that this life is not a playground. Hey, it's a battleground and we're at war for the souls of our children and this nation and our people. And there's still hope. Praise God, there's still help. His name is Jesus. He's still the way. He's still the truth. He was good enough in ancient Rome 2,000 years ago to save those. And He's still good enough today. The world has changed. Yes, we have. But He's still the same yesterday, today, and forever. Somebody in the house of God, praise Him today. Oh my. Then number three, I finish with this. The third lesson that Paul leaves us with. Be fruitful and advance our mission. Be faithful, be flexible, be fruitful and advance the mission. Verse 30. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. What a book. What a passage. You know what Paul did at this season in his life? He was under house arrest. Rather than twiddle his thumbs and say, well, I can't do anything. You know what he did? He picked up his pen and he started writing. Do you know what came out of this particular season in his life? Four letters. The prison epistles. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Think about how precious those and priceless those letters are. Only God knows the impact of those throughout the years. Think of the millions of sermons that's been preached and the thousands of souls saved and the believers that were encouraged because Paul said, I'm going to continue to keep my hand to the plow. I'm going to continue to keep pushing forward. No, I, I can't go out and be mobile, but I, I, I can grow the church this way. Most scholars think that after these two years in Rome that Paul was given freedom. Apparently, 
None of the Jewish officials that brought those charges against him in Jerusalem and Caesarea made the trip to Rome to continue the case. And other historians say that the providential thing about that shipwreck in Acts 27 is that when the ship went down, you know what went down the bottom of the sea with it? All of those legal proceedings of the case against Paul down to the bottom of the ocean. And so most historians say that God allowed Paul to stay there for two years and then he was granted freedom because the case could not be continued anymore. In fact, if you keep reading in the New Testament, you go to the book of Romans and Romans chapter 15 and verses 24 and 28, he alludes to his next mission. And most think that after this episode, he went on to preach the gospel in Spain. He was arrested again in 64 A.D., under the Roman Emperor Nero, he was thrown in the Mamertine prison, and eventually in 68, he was beheaded. Here's his epitaph, 2 Timothy chapter 4, 7 and 8, I have fought a good fight, and I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me one day, on that day, and not only to me also, but all those who have loved His appearing. Paul said, I did all that I could with all that I was given to do God's will. And friend, what Paul started long ago, look at it. Do you know any organization that's 2,000 years and running is still going on? What Paul started, what the apostles started in this precious book, it ends there in the first century in Acts chapter 28. But guess what? You and I, we get to write Acts 29. And we're doing it. We're writing it right now through our ministry and through our faithfulness. Through one convert at a time. One worship service at a time. One VBS at a time. We're still taking the, the mission forward and advancing the Lord Jesus Christ. Because I don't know how long the church is going to be here on earth. But when He comes, I want to be found working. I want to be found busy. I want to be found preaching and leading others to the Lord. Let me finish with this. In 1973, Billy Graham had the largest ever crusade. It was in Seoul, South Korea. 1.1 million people attended on the last day of a three-day crusade. This was the picture taken. During those meetings, 75,000 people made commitments to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's an amazing spiritual harvest. And you ask yourself, how did Billy Graham have such success in a place like South Korea? I don't want to diminish anything that Dr. Graham did, but I would argue that one reason why Billy was so successful on that day in 1973 was because of the pioneering work of a humble servant that nobody knew about. Let me tell you about him. His name was Robert Thomas. In 1863, he and his wife set sail from Wales to China. They were only in China for a little while when his pregnant wife Caroline had a miscarriage and she died of complications. He thought of returning home back to Wales, but he'd sacrificed so much to be there and he said, I might as well stay and see what God does. He became excited about a new opportunity and that was to go into the, the country of Korea. Korea had been untouched by missionaries and so Robert Thomas learned that in 1866 there was an American ship called the General Sherman 
It was going to try and establish trade relations between the United States and Korea. And he said, I'll get on that boat and I'll volunteer to be the translator for this diplomatic mission. And he said, this will be a great opportunity to introduce the Korean people to the Bible. And so he packed a trunk full of Chinese Bibles with him. Well, when the boat entered the Korean territory, they were going up the Taedong River toward Pyongyang. And it was attacked by a gang of thieves. And during the skirmish, Robert Thomas had to flee for his life. He, he jumped off the boat and he had that trunk of Bibles with him. Before he could get very far, one of the pirates killed Thomas. And so it seemed, what a tragic end to his, his mission effort. His wife died. He gave his life. He never got to give his Bibles out to one individual. Well, the thief grabbed that trunk of Bibles and thought it was full of plunder. So he took it home. Could you imagine that thief's disappointment when he opened it up and found a trunk full of Chinese Bibles? And then the story goes that this poor pirate man did the strangest thing with those Bibles. And you know, old folk did this years ago. I remember hearing stories about old mountain people doing this. He tore the pages out of that Bible and started wallpapering the inside of his little shack house with the pages of that Bible. What a strange thing to do. Well, then he got curious about the writing. And that pirate man, that thief who stole those Bibles and took Thomas's life, began to read the pages of Scripture that was on his wall. And wouldn't you know it? He got saved. And his family got saved. And the difference was so drastic in his life that people from all over South Korea, the countryside, started coming to his house to read the Scripture on the wall. And the, the story goes that that's how the church was planted in South Korea. So that some hundred years later, when Billy Graham gets there, no wonder he had such success because the hard work had been done. The, the ground had been tilled up and it had been... Uh, sowed with gospel seed and watered with the blood of the martyrs. And now today they tell us that South Korea is one of the fastest growing Christian nations in the world. 40% of the people there profess Christ. And as I tell you that story and as we close the book of Acts, what an awesome reminder, friend, that the gospel can't be stopped. We have a message. And we have a God. And we have a Savior. And friend, there's no looking back. It's only going forward for God's people. And I'm proud to be here with you this time, this season, this place, to be your pastor and to take the gospel light as far as we can, as long as we can, to whosoever will listen and repent.